Okay, if you would like to remain standing, I'm going to read the passage that my husband is going to preach from today. And if you'd like to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, and I'm reading from verse 20. John 17, verse 20. Words of Jesus. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Sorry, where's Ben? I, I canned, uh, you'll understand later why I canned the uh, communion, because I'm going to do it later. Whoever Ben is there, good boy. <laughs> Okay, uh, we are here. Let me pray, let me pray. Father God, I give you such praise that you want to speak to every person here today. And you want to give us greater understanding of your kingdom. You want to give us greater understanding of who you are. And you want to give us greater understanding of what you've called us to be. The Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you will so speak into our hearts today that where we need to be convicted, you'll convict us. When we need to be encouraged, you'll encourage us. Where we need to be healed, you will heal us because you are almighty God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the, the whole... Let me backtrack. One of the things I've learned over the years is that God, nothing just happens. In your life, nothing just happens. Nothing happens in your life and nothing just happens in the world without God being in control. He is sovereign and ruler over all. And so if things come to you, he may not be the author of it, but he's allowed it. And he's allowed it to test us. He's allowed it to shape us. He's allowed us to make us stronger. That's what challenges do. And one of the things that I think that church has been slow to, to, to recognize is God's role in the coronavirus and God's role in allowing the coronavirus. And one of the great things I believe that God was doing in the, through the coronavirus was dealing with the church because God's plan not to do with the World Health Organizations, not anything to do with governments or political systems. God's plan 
to be glorified and bring about His kingdom is all about the church. And when God looks down at the world, He doesn't see all the problems and He doesn't hear all the politicians speaking. He looks at the church because His church is the means, it's the vessel, it's the machinery which He is going to bring about His kingdom through. And one of the things that I believe has happened, there's many times in the Scriptures where God will actually say to his people, oh, I wish you'd just shut the doors. I, I'm, I don't want to hear you singing. I'm tired of your offerings. I don't want to hear any of it. I wish you would just close the doors. It says it in Malachi 1, 6, 14. You can read it when you go home. And it's because God's people are not fulfilling what God called them to be. They become self-indulgent. They become focused on different things. And one of the main reasons the people of Israel stopped being the sort of people that were going to bring justice, we're going to represent the oppressed, we're going to bring deliverance to the, to, the, to the downtrodden, was that they focused the bits. They still read the Word and they still had, uh, had a sanctuary, but they focused on the bits of this book that they wanted to focus on. And they ignored the bits that they didn't want to hear. And believe me, we can do that today. I'm a preacher. I know how to use this book to say what I want to say if I want to and not bring it in a way which represents the entire counsel of God. And one of the things I believe that was happening in the church in the last 30 years is the church has not really been, I'm not speaking about this church or any other church, but the church universal, has not really been functioning as God intended the church to be. And I said, you can, you can open the book of the New Testament, Jesus' teaching, and you can say, well, the church is going to be a miracle center, and we'll focus on miracles. Well, there should be miracles in the church, but I'm not sure it's the focus. Or you could say the church needs to be a soup kitchen, and we just focus on that. But what we need to do, what I believe God, God allowed a complete shutdown of the church in coronavirus so that, you know, people are talking about global reset. What God wanted to do, and I believe it with all my heart, God wants to reset the church. And he wants to reset the church to be the true church. And the way we will be the true church is simply through this book. And not picking what we want to pick and choosing what we want to choose, but actually focusing on what this book emphasizes and prioritizes. What does this book, what did Jesus emphasize and prioritize his church? Because I've often said, I don't have an agenda. Our only agenda is God's agenda. But we've got to actually look at this book honestly and see what was it that when God established the church that he wanted us to prioritize and emphasize. And this is, this is the thing. It's so important because Jesus says, here, in the passage Michelle wrote, he says, I pray, this is not for the, the people outside, this is for those believers who believe in me, 
that they may be one as you and me, Father, are one, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe you sent me. And he repeats it again in verse 23. I and them, you and me, that we may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you sent me. So Jesus is saying, the way the world will know that the church's message is true, that God sent Jesus Christ from heaven to die for the sin of all humanity and all people need to be reconciled through God, through him, through his blood, through the cross. The way they will recognize that is by the way the church does relationship. And I believe what God wants us to, 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 to reset today is that and understand what the Bible emphasizes about the church is firstly that the church is the family of God. When, when you are saved, you are, Colossians 1.13 says that you are taken out of the kingdom of darkness where Satan is your father. And he has a family. It's the family of the world. And you're conveyed into the kingdom of the son he loves. Into, and it really means into God's family, where Satan is no longer your father, but God is your father, but you're in a family. That's why Ephesians 2, verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household. In the Greek, that means family. Members of the family of God, having been built in the foundation of prophets and prophets. So we are conveyed into God's family. Psalm 68, verse 6, speaks about what happens to a saved person. This person who is saved, baptized into Christ, it says, God sets the solitary in families he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. So basically, when people are bound, they're bound by the evil one. God saves them by bringing them out, and he prospers their soul by bringing them into a family. And you know this because we fostered a few children. If someone's not doing well in a family, they take them out, but they don't leave them in a solitary place. To make that person thrive, they must bring them into another family. Because family is God's, in, God, it's God's invention. Uh, and it's the context, and it's a relationship in which a human being can thrive. So the church, we're not a group of individuals. We're not just people who come, we, I call us forward-facing person, to hear a, a, a forward-facing group who listen to a sermon every week. We are the family of God. We have been brought in and adopted by God, who is our heavenly father. Jesus is our older brother, but we are family. We are the family of God. And you know how important it is to recognize that Luke is my brother. It's because there was, some, there was a season when time where Jesus' biological brothers and sisters and mother came to him because they thought he was crazy. They didn't have revelation of who he was and they doubted who he was. And they came and tried to drag him out of his ministry. And people said, your, your, your family's outside. And he said, no, 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 my family are those who do the will of God. So your biological family, they're just who God used to bring you into the world, but your church family is who you're going to be with eternally. Better get to like me. 
That's the reality. That's why Jesus said, my, my, real family, my real brothers and sisters are those who do the will of God. Now, in a family, you may have your differences and you may have your divisions sometimes, but basically, your family is your tribe and you'll defend your family because you're one. So, in, in, in the, the, the creation, the intention of God when he, when, when he created the church was that we not only be a, a family, but we be a family which is uniquely joined together. Ephesians 2.9.8 again says, Your fellow citizens were the saints and members of the family of God, having been built in the foundations, the prophets and the apostles, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, who you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And here Jesus says in John 17, he says, I pray that you may be one as we are one. So that speaks about a family who are joined together and knitted together. How is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit one? They live interdependently, not independently, but interdependently upon one another. And so we are a family who are meant to be interdependent upon one another. I am supposed to need Luke. I am supposed to need Jenna. He is supposed to need me because we all have various parts to play in the family. So there's no spirit of independence. There's no strong independent ones in the family of God. We are interdependent. We are people who need one another. And we, we are meant to relate as the Father relates to the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's a challenge. That is a challenge. But it is so essential in this day because when the church functions like that, you know the great disease in, in the world at the moment is loneliness. But the church is the solution to the world's great disease of loneliness. And the way we do relationship and life together, interdependently together, is the way the world is going to come and say, they are different. They are obviously the people of God because I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen any people live like this. And you see how the scriptures, and this is what God wants to bring the church back to today. He wants to, he wants to remove the individuality out of the church and bring us back into a place where we see ourselves as a family who need each other and are connected to each other. And for me, this is deeply challenging because I'm introverted. Nothing, I, I love nothing more than few hours in solitary. Uh, you know, you can put me in a, in a box and I'm happy. But this, is, this has always been deeply challenging to me. But I've realized that you cannot thrive apart from interdependent, healthy relationships. And you see, in the book of Acts, you see how they lived, and it's, it's so amazing. It says, now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart 
and of one soul. They were one, they were family. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. But great grace was upon them all because of the way they lived together. Now, there was none, anyone there who lacked, for all who had were possessions of land sold them, bought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet so that no one had any need. This is, this is the sort of caring, and we've seen this in this church over the years, incredible generosity and self-sacrificial giving. But this is, this is what God wants to bring the church its focus back to so that we again have credibility amongst people out there. I, I heard recently of a man, it's, it's genuine, it really happened in a church. There was a, in a meeting just like this, pastor got up and said, we have someone over here and he has a, a, a failing kidney. And, um, and his uh, eyesight was dimming as well. This man had and said, we need somebody to take this man to dialysis. And so one guy stuck his hand, a young fellow stuck his hand up and said, I'll do it. And he says, you know, you've got to take him three times a week at 5 a.m. Young fellow said, I'll do it. So he took him at 5 a.m. Took this young, he took this man, this older man, and, you know, as he was taking him each week, he was on a list to get a new kidney. But after the third or fourth visit, the young man realized, he thought, he's not going to get a kidney not going to get one. This young man said, I'll give you one of mine. This young man who had a family and a wife said, I'll give you my kidney. And he did. He did. And it's, it's, it's that, you know, remember I, a few years ago, I'm digressing here, but I came into my own church. We were back down in Gosford. I remember we were sitting there and we were a front-facing people and I looked out, and there were many, many people who I didn't know. And I thought, this church is an audience. It's an audience. And they come each week to hear a talking head. And it deeply disturbed me. And I made it my business to really get to know people. And one of the things that we did in that season was we focused on setting up small groups everywhere. And if we are to fulfill what God wants today, the church needs to be connected. And the way to get connected, I suggest the greatest way to get connected is to get yourself into a small group where you will be known and know others, where you will love others and they will love you. Get connected. Get connected. You know, there's some big churches in this nation, which I don't need to mention, but you will be able to identify that they've had scandals and God's in all that. There are things called harbingers. They're things which, they're big things that are kind of warnings of what's going to happen everywhere. And if the church functions as an entertainment place, that is over. God shut it down. And some places are still carrying on like that, but I'm telling you, that is not the future. The future of this church is in groups 
who actually know each other, who care for each other, who love each other. Yes, teaching is important. Yes, power in the church is important. But what the world is waiting to see is not that I've got a better smoke machine because the world's got better balloons than I have. They're waiting to see a church that again, like the early church, really care for each other, really are connected to each other, really know the needs of one another and love one another. And, you know, um, as, a, as, a, as a leader, I've, I've just got, I know how to draw a crowd. I could fill this room. Trust me. There are things you can do in You know how to fill a room. I've got no interest in filling a room. No interest in just drawing a crowd. What I have an interest is in building the real church where people come in to the family of God and are edified and are built up and mature into the fullness of who they are in Christ. And you can only do that through interdependent living. You cannot mature as an individual. You cannot. There's, there's some... I'll tell you how critical this is. And this is not condemnation. This is just reading a passage in the Scripture, right? So, see, I'm reading the Bible. This is what the Bible says. In 1 John 3, verse 10. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Or well, this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 58 one another's in the Bible. It's really important, it's critical that we understand what the church is, that primarily we are a family of God who deeply care for one another. And to do that, there must be relationship. There's some passages in the Bible that I read and uh, I just... I just long for them. There's a time when Moses goes up the mountain and, and other people try to come up the mountain, but they can't go to the top because they've got sin and compromise in their life. But my, Moses goes right to the top and he meets with God. And God manifests himself in lightning and thunder. And I thought, wow, just these aren't stories. This, just imagine meeting with God like that. I'm thinking, would I be able to stand there and or I have too much compromise. One of them. Another time where I, I think this is, I long for this to happen in the church, and I believe it can happen in the church, and it's in 2 Chronicles 5, and it's when Mo, Solomon built this temple unto God. And his temple, we know, if you've been a Christian long time, it had the best of everything in it. It had the best of, it had gold, brass. Solomon was so prosperous that he had... No one's ever seen a display of wealth in the temple and prosperity as was in Solomon's temple. But Solomon realized that the temple of God is not complete, no matter what you put it, until there's glory in it. The church too. Unless there's glory, it doesn't matter. And so he longed for the glory. The glory is just the manifest, tangible manifest presence of God to be in the temple. And the people were anticipating the presence of God coming to the temple. And, and, and we want the glory of God in our temple. 
And so they were praising and they were singing, anticipating God's presence to come into this temple that had just been built. And God came. God came into the temple in such a thickness and such a manifestation of himself, it says that the priests felt that they couldn't minister. Could you imagine that? That I get up here and I tried to, I cannot speak because the presence and the glory of God is so thick in here. That's what I long for. I've, I've thought about having that one. I've, I've, I've never seen it. I've, I've seen glimpses of it in other nations, but I just long to come into the place. We've been in meetings here where the presence of God is thick, but I mean so thick that you can't speak. That's what it says. It says that uh, as they were singing, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue in ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. But you know what precedes that? Really interesting. Verse 12 says, there was 120 priests, verse 13, who were as one. And when you read that, you think, what? the glory fell when there are 120 priests who were as one. And if you're a seasoned Christian, you should think, wait on, doesn't that ring a bell? 120 people. As one, and the glory of God comes in. The book of Acts, and we, we say we want a fresh Pentecost, tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 15 says that for 15 days, a group of people got together, 120, verse 15. And it says in chapter 2, verse 1, they were one accord and then a rushing wind, a mighty wind filled the house. There appeared on them tongues of fire, each one, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The glory of God came into the house for the same reason that it came into Solomon's temple. Now, we don't have a physical temple like that anymore. But 2 Peter says this. It says what we are, you and I, as the family of God, says in verse 4, come to him as a living stone, the cornerstone, rejected indeed by men, but those chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. So basically, just as Solomon's temple was a, a, a physical temple built by physical stones and the glory of God came. We are a spiritual temple, but Kelly, Michelle, you are a living stone. And as we come together and are built together and dwell in one, to the degree we are together and one is the degree God's glory will fill the place. There, there is no secret. There is no secret. And God wants to fill his house again with glory, but it will be as God's people dwell together as family, as one. The way we do relationships is what God is interested in. The way we look after each other, that is the degree of glory we will have. 
this whole, Michelle read from chapter 17 of John today, but it's, that really forms a whole section from John 14 to 17. It's really, it's when Jesus is about to depart. It's really, really important. He's speaking to his disciples saying, I'm about to go away. I'm about to go away and I want, the, I want you to be a success and I want the world to embrace your message and the only way they're going to embrace your message is the way which you, how you look after one another and live together. But it's also the key to being fruitful. Everyone wants to have a productive, fruitful life and Jesus said in John 15, same part of this message, he says, I'm the vine and his, atten- his intention is that you and I be connected to one another, but also, and, and more importantly, be connected to him. But not just connected to him, being connected to him depends upon how we're connected to one another. And I'll show you, because he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Speaks about intimacy, intimate, interdependent. We are dependent upon the vine for our life. So we are dependent upon Jesus and we are connected to him relationship. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But then he says this, how are you going to bear that fruit? He says, as the Father loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide. So basically we're saying, if we abide in him, we will simply produce fruit. You don't have to try, you just got to abide. And then he tells us how to abide. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide. What is his commandments? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So you can't abide in Christ unless you love your brother. You can't have that deep, intimate communion with him unless you love God's family. You can't be fruitful unless you love God's family. So God is trying to eliminate, he's trying to eliminate, and it's a real big deal because some of us are hardwired. We've grown up in a culture where church is a performance, where everything happens up the front. You come in here, there's one talking head and there's a band, and that's what church is all about. And you go home and you say, I've done church this week, and it's got nothing to do with God's intention, God's original purpose for the church. I'm not saying you can't experience good things in that place because God will bless hungry people in it, but that is not God's intention for the church. God's intentions for the church was that we love one another as God loves the Son and as the Son loves the Father. That's what the reset church, that's the only church that's going to survive. I tell you, it's the only church that's going forward. Everything else, God himself got it down. And those that have ears to hear, they know what the great reset is. Don't worry about the world out there and the world economic forward. Worry about what God is resetting. He's resetting his church. Ephesians 4 says this. He himself gave some of the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying, that means the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. God's intention is for you to be perfect. And how do you become like Christ? And he says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Don't take that out of your Bible. That is God's intention. Nothing less. 
perfect man to the measure of the stature, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, that means we should know the truth and not be deceived, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from who the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So what it's saying, it's saying God has a plan to bring you into the fullness, the maturity, the likeness of Jesus Christ, not to keep you as a baby. Verse 15, that you may grow up, that means mature, that you may be edified, that means taught and not ignorant. And he says the way it happens is that this body has, has, has certain parts and he uses a physical body to dis- describe what he's talking about. Like there is a, a toe and there is a finger and there's an elbow and there's a joint and none of it uh, exists independently. Each part of the body needs the other part to function. And he says the way that you're going to grow up and mature is to be part of that body. And he says every little bit of that body, not one bit of it is not important. Read it. Not one bit is not important. Even though that little, that little toe on my foot, if I don't have it, I fall over. My thumb doesn't look that impressive, but if I don't have it, I can never pick anything up. He says, even though the, the head and the elbow and the knee look far more impressive, that, that, that toe and that thumb are absolutely vital, and so are you to the church. We can only mature and grow to the degree which everybody realizes they're vital and listens to this, until every part does its share. So we are a family of God, knitted together, caring for one another when every part does its share. There should be no spectators in the family of God. Nobody who just comes to sit and listen. You actually should know that God has created you with purpose. And the most fulfilled people are those who discover their purpose in God and play their part in the church. No matter what your job is, your job's temporal. This is eternal business. This is a family of God that's going to go on forever. And I've said, you know, some people here, you know, you've got a warm, I see people, I, I, I envy them. They've got warm, outgoing personalities. I'm like that sometimes. There's Gus over there. Gus, he, he just blows me. Gus is just so, he's just so encouraging and warm. You know, if you're like that, this is what I suggest. Don't go on a million rosters. But you're someone who should say, you know what? I'm really good making people feel welcome. That ministry on the door, it's mine. I'm going to own it. I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to welcome people in the power of the Holy Spirit. Every Sunday, I'm going to commit to it. That's how you you live a fulfilled life. And that's how the church gets built up. Because sometimes in this church, we've got one person on seven rosters. And a lot of people, not on any. So the the church needs to be a, a group where we actually know. If you don't come on Sunday, you're stealing from me. I need you just like you need me. That's what the scriptures say. 
It's not what I'm saying. It says that every joint supplies affecting to the working part of every part doing its share. So it's like, you know, if my knee tendon decided just not to be present one day, I can't function. And neither can we as a body. So the, 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 the church that Jesus died for is a part that, is a family where everyone lives in love sacrificially, but we all realize we've been given a gift and we actually use it. And you know, don't get overly spiritual about this. What I'll say is just what you're passionate about, what you're interested in. Go and see Ross and say, I want to do that in the church. You know, we need people every Sunday simply to do that, and we haven't got enough people. See what Rose is doing up there? Just point the camera. We need people, more people, to press the button so the words come up here. See those? I will magnify. It doesn't just happen. Someone's got to sit there. It's not hard, but you've got to press the button. So the words change over. Not to meant to diminish you, Joe. I know you press that button like nobody else. You're, you're just, you're gifted. You're anointed. And but it's true. It's true. The church, everyone needs to play their share. And this is, this is what the God is doing, church. I don't want to go on long today, but this is really what the church is doing. I've been, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've been in church for a long time. I wouldn't even tell you how long it is, but it's years, decades I've been in church. And I remember in the 90s, you know, my senior pastor, when I headed off to Bible college, he said, he was so excited, he called me in one day, and I was like the young apprentice, and he said, you know, Oh, I, I finally, I finally know what's going to cause this church to grow and for Christianity to get credibility. He was big on Christianity being credible. He says there's this guy called Lee Hatcher, Lee Hatcher, and he was a Channel 7, big Channel 7 personality in those days. He says, I'm going to get him, and he knows other Christians who are celebrities, and we're going to bring them into the church. We're going to advertise they're here. We're going to promote them, and everybody's going to come and hear these celebrities, and we'll have credibility. And none of it worked. The church never, it, you know, it got a bump and then it went back to what it was. Because that's not, Jesus says, that's not how the world will believe that God sent his son. And then there was another phase where same pastor said, I know what we're going to do. We've got this guy, he's from the Bible college, he's the smartest guy and he's written all these books on apologetics and we're going to bring him into the church and we're going to say, and any question you've got to ask about God, he is going to answer it and everyone's going to have all their intellectual questions satisfied and then the church is going to go. Didn't do anything. People's intellects were stimulated for a little bit and they just went back to their old ways. Jesus said, I pray, not for these alone, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe at me. Only way the world 
is going to believe that they need a saviour, that God so loved the world that he sent his son from heaven, son of God, into the world, and that son of God lays life down. In fact, his father struck him down for my sin and your sin. The only way the world is going to believe that message is by how the church does life together. Everything else, church, it's over. The big show, the big ego, the smoke machine, big screen, skinny jeans, it's all over. God himself pressed the stop in coronavirus. If you don't believe me, just wait 10 years. None of that's going to be left. The only thing that's going to be left is smaller groups who live, love Christ with all their heart. Just love him. Seek him in the private place. They love him. They're in love with Jesus. And they love one another. That's all that's going to be left. That's it. Because this is God. He is reset. And as a pastor... I have got no interest in doing anything else. I'm an evangelist. Here the church says it's got to be organized in apostles, prophets, evangelists. I'm functioning as evangelists because God is resetting his church. Putting things in order, restoring the fivefold that the church may be built up, but it's mainly about how we live. Mainly about how we live. He is calling his church back. Years ago, Michelle and I got a word, and it said, uh, Jeremiah 6. It was not a few years ago. It was 20 years ago. We came up here, and this is what God said to us about what we were to do. And the word was, Jeremiah 6, return to the ancient paths. Don't, Don't follow the latest thing. Don't follow this. Don't follow every new balloon out there that the world has and the church adopts. Go back to the ancient parts, church, and look how the church lives together. And you know, when we started, there were times where, listen to this, 30%, when we were an inner city church, 30% of our church had somebody from the street living with us. Taken in orphans, all that sort of stuff. Because when the church lives and loves like only only then will the world want to know you know with all our great big screens and smoke machines you know what a lot of the world thinks of the church i'm not big. they actually think the church is a joke they think the church is a they think the church wants to extract money from you they think the church is a motivational thing they're so confused yet we have the message of redemption We have what they're looking for. But the only way they're going to come for it is by the way we live and love together. Together. If you're, maybe you've come from a a difficult family background, this may be hard for you to hear, but you need to be part of God's family. And you need to be connected. If you don't get connected to people and other Christians and get into that interdependent place, you cannot get to where God wants to take you. He wants to take you to the fullness 
of Christ in you. And we need others feeding into us, sacrificing into me, me sacrificing into them. I don't have a kidney to give you. The Bible says if I've got two coats, I'll give you one of my coats. That's what the church is looking for. That's what the world's looking for. That's the future. I, I think this is um, this most important sermon I've preached in a number of years because God really has spoken to me clearly about what he is doing in the world today. His eyes aren't on wars. His eyes aren't on viruses. His eyes aren't on earthquakes. His eyes are on the church. And he's going to bring the church back into a glorious condition for Christ's return. Amen? If you're not in a home group, I just I ask you to consider joining a home fellowship. Ross will tell you where they are. <laughs> Ross will tell you everything. Ross will tell you who... Whose place they're at, John will tell you as well. But it's really good to get connected, deeply connected. Get in a prayer triplet, whatever. But do life in the Amen? Let me pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you. You show us how to live. Not only show us what is true, you show us. And you lived, Lord, you who could do and be anything, you lived interdependently, in relationship with your Son and the Holy Spirit. Because we cannot. You cannot thrive. How can we thrive apart from relationship? Father God, I thank you for how much you love your church. I thank you that Jesus gave his life, not for me, but he gave his life for the church. And he has great plans for the church. Help us here at Elam. Help us to be the church that when the world looks in here, they'll say, there is something glorious in there. There is something different. That is obviously of heaven because nobody else lives that way. Help us. Help us to make the changes we need, to make the adjustments we need, to make the connections we need, that we really do reflect how you relate to the Father. I pray it in Jesus' name. We just hold that. We're going to take communion. And we, uh, this is why we are spend away. Can we get the communion stuff? We're going to take communion to finish this message today because it's important. I want to just... Yeah, from 1 Corinthians to finish. You know, Jesus said this. Sorry, Paul said this. He said, when we, when we come to take communion, it's common union. Common union. Union with God, but also union with one another. And he says, therefore, whoever drink, eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now when we speak about the Lord's body, people take communion, they think about Jesus on the cross. Well, that's only part of the Lord's body. Now, 
He is not on the cross. He is in heaven and he is the head and we are his body. So when we discern the body, we're actually meant to discern, is there someone around here in my family that is hurting? Because the Bible says, if they hurt, I hurt. Is there some, is there some, oh, I've got one. (laughs) Thanks, Michelle. Is there somebody that the Holy Spirit's asking me to, to help? Is there somebody in the, that the Holy Spirit is asking me to encourage? Maybe there's someone in the, in the, the Bible says they sold lands and gave. Is there someone here the Holy Spirit's asking me to give a gift to? Because they're in need. Why it's important. The Bible says, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. You know why they're weak and sick? Because they come to the church and it's all about me. It's just an individual. I'm here to get my word. I'm here to get my blessing. We are not individuals. We are a family. And it's really important when we meet, we discern. Discern means by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, are there people around me? Are there people that need encouraging? People around me that need something. Otherwise, we take this, bring judgment on us. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. But we want to take this. I look around today. This is the body. We're going to get rid of these. I'm sorry, but we're going to go back to the old way. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm just challenged. I can't even open it. Every week I do this. I can't get the bread bit off the... Thank you, uh, every week. IQ test, I fail it every week. Um, but what we want to do today, when we take communion, this is the body. Christ's body, but this is also the body. And I just ask you, are you connected? Are you connected and are you living interdependently? Do you know people? Secondly, do you know what your gift is? I'm going to pray that God actually shows you what your gift is. And are you doing your share so that the whole body can be built? body, edify, growing. We all, all, nobody's unimportant. Maybe you think, I'm just, you're needed here. In fact, the Bible says the, lesser, the less obvious parts are to receive more honor. You're needed. Needed. Part of the body. Body, Christ, spoken. Remember, the only reason we're in his body, the only reason we've been taken out of the family of Satan into the kingdom of God, because son of God, shed his blood, the blood of Jesus, shed 
you to be part of God's family. Thank you, Lord. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. Just praise him that you are part of God's. You know, just to finish, you know in Hollywood, they have this thing called the A-list. You know, and if you're on the A-list, you're... You know, you get invited to all the big things. You're very important. If you're a Christian, you believe, you're baptized, you're washed in the blood. You're in the book of life. It, it, it like, it's not an A-list. It's like the book of life. You are in God's family. Eternally, you are chosen by God. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You're on the A-list of the A-list. Stand up and praise him. Heaven's A-list. For that we should praise him. Amen. Amen. <laughs> that and, uh, so there is so much power just in being in the body. I could have sat down half an hour ago. I should have got you up. Um, <laughs> we are going to give an offering. I forgot to take up the offering. We're going to give an offering because Jesus, God gave Jesus for us. We're going to do as we praise him. Amen. What a wonderful ending, Mark. That's, a, that's so powerful.